0: All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. With me, as always, is my amazing, beautiful, gorgeous co-host, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. I am a sports chiropractor, a strength coach, and a wrestling coach in Scottsdale, Arizona. Today, we're going to be talking about, we're going to further our anatomical approach to training series. Uh, We're going to be talking about the neck. So, talking about the neck, I want to get into a little bit of the anatomy um, and a little bit about what's going on in the neck. So we have in the neck, we have seven vertebra. Those are going to be those spinal bones that go through the area. Those are going to be your bony structures. After that, in between all of those, we have discs. Discs are, a little, think about them like a little jelly donut, if you will. I know that's kind of like, not a disproven, but almost like a crap on analogy, so to say, but it, it, it gets the point across it's on the outside. It's going to be a little harder on the inside. It's going to be a gelatinous type. Uh, type of material. And then from there, it's going to increase and decrease in fluid throughout the day. So when you wake up in the morning, there's going to be more fluid associated in the disc. And when you go to sleep at night or throughout your day, it's going to decrease in fluid. Also, there's going to be a whole bunch of ligamentous structures. So the ligaments that keep those bones in place, as well as tendons and muscles. So think about the muscles in the front like your scalenes, those big old neck muscles that when you breathe the wrong way, they flare up or in the back, your upper traps, um, or those, or so everybody knows their upper traps or what's called the suboccipitals, which are a separate muscle group. Those little golf balls at the base of your skull that uh, they're tight on literally everybody. Um, those are going to be some different muscles in the area. And then on top of all of that, we have our nerves and we have our arteries. So the arteries going up, we got our, uh, cerebral artery, Uh, We also have our different nervous system structures. So through the neck, we're going to have the nerves going to the brain, as well as the nerves going through the spine and going out into nerve roots that go out to the upper extremities or the arms and the body and the shoulders. Um, And those are going to be what controls basically think about from the sternum or your chest bone up. Those nerves from the neck are going to be what control that. So that's super boring. Intro to the anatomy. I know a great way to a great way to start the podcast. Uh, that's what we're talking about when we're thinking about the neck. We're not going to venture into the shoulder that much. We're not going to venture into the thoracic spine or that mid back. We're just thinking, think about from the collarbone up um, and then out to the upper traps. So, Alex, after that super boring anatomy lesson for everybody, how do you like to train the neck? Because the tra- the neck is I, what I lovingly call a fickle bitch like it's 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 not a very fun thing to train, and it's it could be boring, but it's extremely important and there but on the other end of the spectrum there's a lot of wrong ways to do it so how do you like to do it
1: right I think you hit it nail on the head there's a lot of wrong ways to do it and um I think a base level understanding for a lot of combat and grappling sports in general, what we need to understand is the neck is chronically loaded period like during the sport you have a lot of stressors that go through your neck and a lot of stressors that you build up a tolerance for whether they're beneficial or not but through your neck when you're wrestling when you're playing jujitsu, the neck is a, a heavily stressed area so on top of that in the strength and conditioning realm or when you're thinking about neck training in general you don't need to throw on four days a week of neck training (laughs) <laughs> um, it doesn't need to be something that you hit every day or like a whole muscle group for a day um at the very most it's a, it's an accessory lift towards the end or it's um maybe a little more focused work if you're specifically having neck issues and, and things like that so the way i train the neck is very similar um to the way that i train the core um i train uh, low level isometrics. Um, I like to hit it from all three uh, planes of movement. So that means forward, backward, side to side and rotationally. And there's a couple tools that we can get into that we use to do that. I like body weight resistance. I like uh, band banded resistance against like a, a small resistance band. And then another one that I like to utilize is partner isometrics and partner um, endurance strength that way. Um, and I think all of those are safer alternatives than maybe just jamming your neck in a net bridge on the mat or, you know, continually beating it the same way that you beat it within your
0: grappling practice. I don't want to forget about neck bridges because that's the next point I want to make, but bringing it back to the partner isometrics, that's a, f- that is an awesome way that I've found to make neck training fun for everybody. Cause if you do anything with a partner, it's always going to be a lot more fun you can fuck around with your friend. You can put, you can push in different directions. You can have them all, you could perturbate. So you could just push on one side or the other and have them try to keep their head in the same area. Um, there's different stimulus you can do to make neck training fun. If you're doing it with a partner, when you do it by yourself, it's boring as shit, yeah. but bringing it to the neck bridge because, and I also want to get into neck harnesses because they're dumb, but people <laughs> use them. Um, what do you think about a neck bridge? You like it, dislike it?
1: I, a, so that's kind of how I grew up training in the wrestling room and uh, building up my own personal neck strength is, um, you know, we would hit bridges, we would walk in circle around our neck, we would hold the isometric position. Um, I, as much as I think it's an old school approach, I don't necessarily think it's the most appropriate approach. Um, I think it's ramping up to a very high intensity, high load bearing uh, position right away where I think we can pr- either progress to that or find a more neutral position to train the I- neck isometrically. Um, you know, you think about in a, in a back bridge where your, you know, chest is up towards the ceiling or in the opposite way with your chest down towards the ground and forward bridge. Both of those positions are, are pretty compromised, right? Um, not gonna, and I don't think that is meant to say that doing that is going to get you hurt right away. I mean, I don't think that's going to be a hugely acute injury if you do those neck bridges, but over time, and if you're chronically exposed in grappling practices, which Austin's going to talk about how common some cervical issues are in grapplers, um, that can be adding to the problem rather than um, getting away from the problem or creating strength about that, um, and then bouncing off that, I also want to talk about the, the phases of um, of muscle contraction and how we should train the um, the neck in that realm. So that leads right into your neck harness point, Austin. What what's your what's your problem with neck harnesses?
0: They're stupid, and I hate them.
1: <laughs> you, you just don't like the meathead uh, <laughs> aspect that come with them, where you have this giant apparatus and. A, 30 pound plate hanging from your head.
0: No. So, so my actual issue with them other than they are stupid and I do hate them um, is that it causes it looking at the biomechanics of the neck harness. It looks like to me, if I understand the, the vectors correctly, that it's going to cause undue stress in a shearing force. So think about that spine on top of spine with the disc, it's going to cause a translation that can irritate the disc by pulling everything forward. So if you wear a neck harness, you attach a 45 pound weight, like most people do, you have 45 pounds of weight that's getting distributed across not seven vertebrae, If you look at where the neck bends, probably like C3 through C5. So three vertebrae. that's a lot of force in those little areas. While I understand that we do need to train the neck. I think there's a graded approach that we can take, which I know you're going to talk about next. Um, and maybe eventually we work up to that. Just like in the low back, we've talked about the Jefferson curl where it's okay to flex. If we're doing it for a purpose and we're doing it to be a strong necked person and we've worked to tolerance, Hey, maybe we can am- implement a neck harness. If we know that this person has cleared all of the different injury screens, right. And please not with like 90 pounds. That's still stupid. Yeah. Um Yeah. But in most cases, uh, and I would say uh, I'm throwing an arbitrary number out, but in in my experience, let's say 80, about 80% of cases, I wouldn't use a neck harness. Like these people can't control neck posture in the first place. Why are we trying to strengthen a bad pattern? That goes back to our functional capacity arguments on every other part of the body.
1: Right. And I think functional capacity is a big problem. But earlier when I said I treat the neck like the core, I kind of want to flush out what I mean when I say that. And I, what I think about with the neck is, is first off, like you said, we can't find the proper posture and proper position in the first place for your neck. I think that that's been lost in the weeds and lost in our, our daily posture, uh, for lack of a better term. Same as we have to teach people breathing and bracing through their core through their uh, uh, thoracic diaphragm and into the lumbo pelvic. We need to find that position, create some base level of strength there and ability to hold on to that. But then, your neck is also very seldomly working in a concentric fashion, right? So we talk about how stupid sit-ups are for the core. Same thing can be said for the neck, and, and I think of the neck harness with this too. Very seldom when you're actually grappling are you pushing something over with your head are you exclusively trying to raise your head up off the mat unless you're getting drowned or something. So, unless
0: you are taking a violent shit.
1: <laughs> so, all right, it's going to take me a minute to... <laughs>
0: Dude that's, what it look, I don't, dude, that's what it looks like when these guys are doing it. They throw 245s on the neck harness and they go up into extension and they look like a turtle taking a shit. That's what they look like. <laughs> Jesus. Austin's thought about
1: this for a long time.
0: <laughs> Too much. This is what keeps me up at night is thinking about people taking turtle shits. That's kind of freaky. Yep. Uh, anyway. <laughs> you're, not, you're not working in, in a sport
1: in that concentric fashion with your neck similar to you're not using your core to actively crunch into some type of position, right? So our neck works best to resist movements, whether we're getting you know slammed, we have some whiplash on the on the mat or whether we're trying to hold position and not give up head position, which is isometric contraction holding position. So when we establish that strong uh, strong, you know fundamental neck posture, we want to create isometric strength there. What are you doing, man? Just dancing. You're just, dancing. Try- You're just trying dancing. to throw me off right now. <laughs> but when we find that fundamental neck posture, we want to create isometric strength behind that, which is kind of our first barrier to strength, our first level of strength. And then from that, we work on eccentric contraction. We work on higher level and different um, planes of motion type of isometric mm-hmm. so that we can re- resist the urge to arch our neck, we can resist the urge to let somebody push our neck to the side. And I think that is a lot more effective when we talk about like neck training for anti concussion, when we talk about neck training for holding stronger position, it's a lot more effective to do those type of uh, contractions and those type of exercises, which we'll describe some exercises later than strictly throwing on a neck harness and revving it up.
0: What about shrugs?
1: Same as everything, man, to a degree within a, a certain um, context, but they do get beat to hell by the meat out there. And, and, yeah. and shrugs are a good way to bulk up your traps and, and, and look cool, I guess.
0: So the general, I just throw on some science knowledge out there. The general consensus is that the bigger your traps are, think of Yoel Romero as a fantastic example, the decrease in likelihood that you'll get a concussion. Now, while that makes sense, and it does make sense to me too, I have yet to see a study that supports this. While having a strong neck in general, I've seen that study that decreases the amount of translation. So therefore you can correlate that it would probably decrease any sort of brain trauma because the brain won't slosh around in the cranium. The fact that you have strong traps or again, you look like a cobra has not to the best of my knowledge through the academic research I've looked in does not correlate to having a decreased likelihood of concussion. So I just like to get that out there. Cause that's something that I run into every single time I talk about this and talk about brain trauma associated with every uh, associated with neck injuries or associated with MMA. And like I said, it's one of those things that people try to justify doing a bunch of shrugs to strengthen the neck to stabilize, to stabilize the neck and then stabilize the brain. When in reality, the research isn't there to support that. And most of the time it's, it's probably not going to do a whole bunch more than just give the person headaches and give them trigger point related headaches. They're going to get those coat hanger headaches. Like every fighter I know, um, and then equate it to, Oh, it's brain trauma. When in reality, it's not, it's not from sparring. It's not from striking practice. It's probably from them having to keep up in that shelled position and keep those traps up and overloading the upper trapezius that then refers up in that cone hanger distribution. So that's my little tangent of getting into the medical field to start. I also want to bring it back, not to go on a rant, but bringing it back to the neck bridge. Me and Alex, the reason why we're doing this podcast is because me and Alex have talked about this this week in in reality, and we were talking about neck training and what each of us do. And something that I've seen success with, with not eliminating the neck bridge, but modifying it, which is what any person that's, worth their salt than healthcare should be able to do, don't eliminate an activity, modify it to best suit the athlete or the person you're working with is instead of doing it on the ground, which is an entirely think about the disc that we talked about earlier, an entirely loaded position that compresses every single disc in your entire cervical spine, we can do it on the wall, which is going to grade the force that you put into it. So the closer you stand to the wall, the less force Is being applied to the discs, the farther your feet are away from the wall, the more force, but you get to scale this actual phenomenon and this, this, this loading pattern, if you will. And then the other thing you can do instead of just doing normal neck bridges on the wall and rolling out your neck, is you can do it with a yoga ball in the middle. And think about that as a way to train our different rotational movements, because you can do the yoga ball. That's going to be the unstable surface. If like thinking about like unstable surface training, while it doesn't have a lot of research behind it, it is going to decrease. What I use it for is to decrease the overall compression to the discs. And then we can train that neck side to side, looking left, looking right, ear to shoulder, ear to shoulder, those ranges of motion that instead of trying to compress everything, we can do it from an open chain And allow us to still train those muscles, which is a lot safer for the neck in general. It's not going to irritate all of the structures, the nerves, the discs, the spine in general.
1: Yeah. And I think where a lot of neck training originated and and, um, talking about neck bridges, talking about um, harnesses, talking about shrugs, I think generally, honestly, it comes from like general strength and conditioning meathead type of logic. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. So you get something stronger and everything's fixed. And I think that fix has been applied so ubiquitously throughout um, any type of injuries, throughout any type of pain, you know, get a stronger and it'll be fine. Um, So when you're shrugging 225 pounds, when you're throwing 90 pounds on a neck harness, the idea is get the maximum threshold of, of strength up. And then the subsequent thresholds won't matter. But, but in reality, what you're seeing is those lower thresholds chronically in a bad position. So if we don't define good position and we can't grade and begin our neck training from a good position and a good start, then that heavily heavily loaded training is just going to be all for naught or it's going to be in a poor position and maybe create problems more than fix them. So using the wall, using different lighter bands, using, again, good positional partner isometrics helps you define that good starting position and define that before we jump into our ramped up super heavy meathead type of neck training. And in talking about a finding a perfect position or finding a better position to train the neck, I think that goes into a really micro approach that can be best utilized within, you know, a healthcare setting. And a lot of times we find ourselves in that medical healthcare setting is because we have some type of neck injury that's frequently common in combat sports and MMA. So I'll let Austin talk a little bit about some of those common and frequent injuries that occur within grappling and and into the neck.
0: So the biggest and most prevalent neck injury that occurs uh, with combat athletes is going to be a cervical disc herniation. That's a big, scary word for there's increased pressure on the discs that we've talked about the little jelly donut between the two vertebra uh, and that's causing any sort of, whether it's irritation, compression, uh, honestly, whatever thing that is touching the nerve root, it's going to cause an irritation in that area that's going to increase pain, increase symptoms. Sometimes it sends numbness, tingling, or weakness down the arm, one-sided or both. Um, and it's going to be something that's typically hurts worse in the morning because that jelly donut has more water in it, thus compresses the nerve more as opposed to at night. So typically once you warm up, it starts feeling a little better. Um, talking about this cervical disc herniation, it's extremely common in grapplers in, in specific. And why we want to bring up that neck bridge is that compressive mechanism. So think about you take a shot, say you shoot a double leg, you get, you, you get stuffed and your head goes, boom, right into the mat. And that causes from your forehead all the way through your lower neck, it causes an increase in pressure. That increase in pressure over time and doing however many thousands of repetitions that we all do as grapplers, that's going to potentially, not on everybody, but for the most part, cause a breakdown, cause a degeneration. People use all these different scare tactic words, but in reality, it causes an issue with that disc. That then irritates the nerves because the disc is right in the middle. The nerves go out two little holes called a vertebral foramen. It goes out or intervertebral foramen, the IVFs technically is what it's called. It goes out both of those to each side. If the disc has any sort of injury to it, so think about that jelly gets out of the donut, then it's going to cause irritation onto the disc on the or to the nerve on the right or the nerve root on the right or the left. When it does that, that's when shit happens. So hopefully that's a good enough overview. I don't want to go into the weeds too far with the cervical disc herniation. Just remember compression, bad neck bridges. When you have neck pain that goes down the arm, bad, uh, getting stuffed on a shot. If you feel any sort of like stinger in your neck, bad, probably disc herniation, all of these different things. If it, if you feel that local pain and then also feel something in the shoulder, elbow, hand, wrist, then that's most likely a herniation. So moving into, hey, huh, what are some first steps that we can do with this most common injury in the neck? The first steps we can do are gonna be two major things. One's going to be finding a comfortable position. So for most people, what, what we call this is directional preference. That's a repetitive movement.
2: If you know me, you know I'm always on the run, up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, And more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash grit. Check it out. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early, and home late, so having a 3-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre, and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash grit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out.
0: That is going to decrease the pain you're feeling. For the most part, in my practice, I would, again, I I hate using the same number twice, but using an arbitrary number around 75 to 80% of the people that I've seen with cervical disc herniations, a movement called chin retraction is going to be the most like the biggest bang for your buck. So what cervical retraction is, is trying to, essentially make a double chin or triple. If you're Alex, Ooh, burn Thanks. roasted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> put on a couple pounds after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden it's all the chicken fingers, you know,
1: that's why I grow out the beard, man.
0: <laughs> uh, but so cervical cervical retractions are going to be one of those things that it's had a high return on investment to just try. So, like I said, it's a therapeutic double chin. When you do it, you want to hit end range. So when I talk to, when I tell people about enderages, it should feel a little bit uncomfortable, but not painful. So poke the bear, don't piss in it's Cheerios. When you do this, you're going to do that for sets of, we'll say 10 reps or reps of 10 sets of 10, do about a hundred a day. And again, this isn't, I haven't, I haven't diagnosed you. I haven't assessed you legally. I can't give you medical advice. This is just talking about, Hey, if this is the best case for a cervical disc herniation. Um, the other thing. That we're looking at outside of just directional preference, which, like I said, is most likely cervical retraction, is going to be some sort of elongation. What I mean by that is we want to try to distract the tissue away from the disc. We want to make the neck as long as possible because that decreases that compression on the disc. How we do that? A, cervical retraction is a great way to do that. But B, this is where we get into all those little cool baby exercises that you see me do with all the fighters I work with. And we can force them to use the muscles they should be using and elongating the entire cervical spine, trying to upright is what they call in DNS. So how we do this one position I love to do this in is DNS three month prone. I'll have Alex link a video to the show notes because I actually have a video and it's not going to be much work for him. So he can't complain about it. And from there, you're going to be in a face down position, prone elbows in line with ears, thumbs in line with shoulders and you push the ground away while making that double chin. What that does is it's going to force you to use the proper neck muscles to lift your head up. Just like a baby when they're three months, they have to learn how to lift their head. They don't do it wrong first for the most part. Surprise, surprise. They do it right. Um, And then they also activate the right shoulder muscles that synergize with the neck because we know the body doesn't work in isolation, which is a great point to add is that, when we have neck pain or neck problems, typically it can refer up or down, I guess, down it normally doesn't go above the neck, but it's down the chain, you give me a headache. That's true. Yeah. Just from my words, from talking too much.
1: <laughs> and I also want to say as much as you will try, and I, I've come around on this with the whole baby exercises and, and creating that DNS type of system. I've come around and I understand the logic and I think it's, it's pretty valuable. Comparing athletes to
0: babies will never be, it, it no, just I just not It'll never. Uh, I don't give a fuck if it's cool. (laughs) I care if I care if it's useful. If it's useful, it is in my practice. If it's uh, not useful, no matter how flashy or stupid, it ain't in my practice. Find a better analogy. Is all I got to say, man. It's. I'm not getting into this. It's developmental kinesiology. (laughs) It's based around how you develop. So pictures of babies babies don't belong in weight rooms. Disagree strongly. (laughs) there's different anatomical variation because babies have big, big heads. Human normal people have big bodies, but the theories apply. I digress. I'm not getting into this right now. People don't want to hear a squabble. You know too much about babies. I do. I do. For somebody that doesn't like kids a whole bunch, I know way too much about babies. Uh, But anyways, so that (laughs) DNS three month prone and the chin retractions are your first line of defense If you have, if you have anybody with a cervical disc herniation, or if I was treating myself with a cervical disc herniation, after that, we get into trying to strengthen the body as a whole and trying to keep the chin retracted through different strength movements. That's when we get in our farmer's carries. That's when we do our kettlebell arm bars. That's when we start adding in different shoulder loaded movements. That also forced the chin to be in a proper position and the neck to be in what we would consider as neutral as possible. Cause we know neutral is a range, just like in the low back, it's not a perfect position. It's a, as good of a range of positions as possible. So plus or minus 10 degrees is what I typically tell people.
1: Right. A hundred percent. And I see this coach wrong all the time. Right. And, and I think that's your typical novice strength coach or your, I, I don't want to Your typical strength coach that's been taught exclusively in the weight room about neck and trap and be stronger, don't worry about proper position, right? Is I've literally seen farmer carries taught with the shoulders completely shrugged up, which (laughs) is not is not the way to do them, right? And like, and I've seen all throw three fifteen on the trap bar and then walk as far as you can, which again is. I don't know. It's good for toughness. It's good, you know, to get everybody rowdy, but uh, it's maybe not the best position for the neck. So, no, um, coaching that differently, I think, through the neck and through that quote unquote neutral spine, I think is something that every strength coach should adopt. Um, and I think this probably comes from, you know, uh, traditional Olympic weightlifting where, you know, look up when you're in your bottom position and that's where the bars going to go is up, is kind of the logic. But that is just, hyperextension through your neck, right? We need to find a neutral position into the neck, especially when we're doing things like RDLs, hinges, front squats, you know, the you know, the bad strength coach, the typical bad strength coach, look at the ceiling when you squat so you can go up, right? Find a better position. You know, I, I cue through the eyes all the time where we're looking six feet in front of ourselves and we let our eyes rise on a vertical line that we find dots on the wall. We find, you know, a tennis ball or a shoe or something that we can use as a landmark position with your eyes. And then as you come up through the squat, your eyes rise up to another landmark position on the wall. That will help create that neutral uh, that neutral range or that better position than a super hyperextended looking up to the ceiling, because the hyperextension in the neck in some of those compound lifts is just going to lead to more hyperextension everywhere else. And your Austin's awesome favorite extension compression um, stra- stabilization strategy.
0: Yeah, don't use extension compression. And something that we could also extrapolate that to, like, what Alex would say getting into the science. I'm sorry for everybody that's not uh, in healthcare or a total nerding. Yeah, correct. That's total nerd. Um, You can extrapolate extension compression to not just the low back, but also the cervical spine. They have the same mordotic curve. They have the same focal point. They have the same pressure points and stabilization points. You can easily say that extension compression can be applied to the cervical paraspinals, just the same that is applied to the lumbar paraspinals. So I'm not going to dive into that too far because that's way in the weeds. But the same things we talk about with the low back, you can also extrapolate to the same thing as the neck because it has the same curve and we use it in the same exact way. Um, but talking about what you're talking about, a great point with the farmer's carries. I actually use the Q anti shrug 99 times out of 100 instead of saying shrug. Yeah, it's one of those like it was a Stu McGill and Brian, Brian Carroll, like when they when they were working together, they were Mm -hmm. doing that whole combination. I don't remember what book they made, but they made some book together, too. It was really good. I wish I knew the name because I read it (laughs) and I liked it. Um, But they that's a cue that they use for their deadlift. Right. And the deadlift is another lift that people typically uh, hulk out and give the turtle (laughs) pooping face. Um, They no laugh. Nothing with that. You laughed enough at that. okay cool. I still find it funny.
1: Yeah, um, You're going to, you're going to continue to find it funny and then continue to say it. And it's still hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Yep. Everybody at home listens. They like it. Um, but <laughs> uh, that that's, that's another one of those lifts where if you're doing it wrong, guess what? Your chin is jutted. You're ugh, tightening everything up. Your scalenes and your traps are lit instead of, You need to create tension where tension should be made, which is through the lats. Guess what? It's really, really hard to contract the lat when you have your upper trapezius contracted as well. And (laughs) the point I
1: always make to my athletes is like, which muscle is bigger and stronger, your upper traps or your whole latissimus dorsi, right? Um, The second one for people at home. Right. When you pull your shoulders down and, and I use the cues, you know, reach to the ground or when we have a a farmer's carry, you know, reach through the kettlebell and, and kind of punch the ground and same thing works when we're lifting a trap bar barbell, um, But again, that is a better stabilization strategy for, I know we're extending from the neck to the shoulder, like Austin says we can't do, but that's a better stabilization strategy for your shoulder. And then ultimately into your neck control position.
0: Honestly, I think it's important to talk about it. I know we're extending, but on my little tangent that we talked about before is that we can't isolate everything while we want to make it as much of a just neck podcast as possible. It's the same thing we do with the knee. Yeah. Right. Like you, 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 can't isolate one part of the body cause it all works in synchrony shoulders and necks move together. Guess what? They also move with the thoracic spine. So you got to be able to move through the thoracic spine when you try to stabilize your neck too, which is any sort of front loaded carry. Absolutely, man. And, and
1: I completely agree with that. I think, and I think uh, more scientific literature and everything's coming around about, you know, reducing the reductionism for a, no. a very poorly stated phrase, but less isolation, less, we're only studying this and this combined variable because your body is a whole integrated system. You know, it's, it's hard to chop it up in these individual pieces and see it for that exclusive because everything it works in conjuncture, you know, and, and part of justification for that is your neck and your traps get tight and sore simply when you're stressed out, right? When you get stressed out, you go into that, the, the, the a different tone. You go into your, your fight or flight response and you immediately stretch your shoulders. That was me taking any exam, ever. right? I was Mm -hmm. slouched up. I had a high pressure situation. So when I got done with my tests or my presentations, uh, public speaking used to really freak me out. When I get done with that stuff, I was sweating. My neck and my traps were completely obliterated and sore. <laughs> and then I had to feel like I needed to rest after a hard workout. But yeah. um, but going out off of that is a wholly integrated system, and, and choosing some exercises and better postures like that can help to alleviate the individualistic or reductionist thinking um, in that thing. One last thing we want to hit on and talk about before I, I got cut more. Off. Do
0: not do not cut me off. I have more. <laughs> um, there's it, and this one's quick, just talking about different passive care strategies. Like we mentioned in the last podcast, um, everybody wants to, they, they don't just want to go into healthcare to get, to do work. They want to also get worked on when you are going to somebody, um, then you do have the same exact thing we've talked about that cervical disc herniation, some things that are really going to help, I guess, uh, proceed the cascade of active care or like, kind of like be the fire starter in your recovery are going to be anything in along the lines of decreasing tension in the area, but knowing that muscles get tight for a reason, right? If you have a cervical disc herniation, typically you also have extremely hypertonic or super tight upper traps. That's because what's a cervical disc herniation. Typically it's caused by a lot of force going through the same area over and over and over again. And that causes everything to then irritate or the jelly donut goes out. The body senses this. It starts to tighten everything up around there in order to increase the stability. Cause they're like, Oh shit, I'm moving through this area too much. I need to stabilize that because your brain's smart as shit. So then it tightens up your traps and then everybody goes after the traps instead of actually knowing what's going on in the first place, which is Haha, guess what? You have a C6, C7 disc herniation. Yay. So a good way to start the cascade is to assist with the symptoms. That's going to be dry needling of the other traps. That's going to be adjusting of the spine, which adjusting of the cervical spine is safe. I'm not going to get into that right now. Message me on your own. If you want to talk about that, I got all the research. Just put a post but,
1: on Instagram, right? Warriors for Wellness.
0: Yeah, but I don't have research in there. I got all the research if you guys want to talk about it. Um, uh, it's any sort of adjustments, any sort of dry needling, cupping of the upper of the like lower cervical spine, upper T spine, all these different passive modalities are awesome ways to start the cascade. But just like with the low back, just like with the knee, just like with every single other anatomical approach of training we talk about, it's just the first step along the process of recovery. It's not going to be something that is going to fix you. It's going to be a active care or a passive care band aid. That allows you to then do the right things, the cervical retractions, the neurodynamics, the loaded carries, all these different things that you fix yourself. Because that's how you make lasting changes is connecting the brain with the proper posture or with the actual proper muscle activation. And that decreases what you're feeling. So there's my tirade. Now you can cut me off and you can go to what you want. Now
1: I'm going to cut them off and then I'm going to get it right back to them. But we've talked about uh, modifying the neck bridge. We've talked about using bands. Um, hooked up at eye level to kind of get those uh, isometric muscles at different uh, different planes of movement to lateral to the uh, transverse plane and some of those exercises talked about loaded carries we've talked about um, some type of modalities and then I'll let Austin talk about if he wants to cervical cars those have been popularized i think we need to touch on those and then i know he wants to talk about and i'm just as big a fan as the iron net so i know that's been oh, going shit, yeah. and, uh joe rogan's been promoting that and i think again they're great tools we used them a lot at the ufcpi when i was there but I think cervical cars, um, and we can explain what those are. And then the iron neck are the last two exercise modalities, our training to hit on before we, uh, finish up and wrap up.
0: How could I forget my attempt to try to secure a post or a sponsor for the podcast?
1: I know, right. How did I forget about about it? You're like, I need to talk about the iron neck. I want to do it. And I was like, okay, man, you can talk as much as you want all the time ever, but well, that's what I do anyways.
0: I I don't need your approval. I do it anyways. You're lucky. We're very, (laughs) we're
1: very physically distanced.
0: Uh, Anyways, Iron Neck. I love the iron neck. I've used it before. Um, while it is sometimes a hassle to set up, as long as you have it pre-set up and you already have it in the area, it's one of those things that it's it's dumb not to get it if you can afford it. While it does have a sticker, like a, a sticker shock of, I think technically it's two seventy five, might be three hundred. Um it's on
1: Black Friday sale. So I know that because it tempted me heavily.
0: Yeah, um, I personally don't even have one in my clinic. The clinic that I did my preceptorship had it or my preceptorship with had it. And I've tried it myself at a different jam up in Portland, but it's a fantastic way to safely load the neck because it gives you that actual resistance, that measurable resistance, but you can do it in a chin. You can do loaded chin retractions and be as safe as possible. You don't have to worry about any sort of compressive force. You can do loaded transverse plane movements, which is extremely, extremely hard to do in the neck. So think about any sort of rotation. That's our transverse plane. Uh, You can do that from an extremely safe position, which is going to benefit all of our combat athletes. Think about catching a hook on the chin. You should probably learn how to stabilize that movement. That's, that's a smart thing. Um, And hooks. So don't worry about it. That's true because you don't, you're, yeah, I'm not even going to go there (laughs) because we don't strike. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But thinking about transverse plane, boom, We need to stabilize that area, not just do it, but also resist against it. Frontal plane, so that lateral bending, same exact thing. Um, And then on top of all of this, we can do integrated movements. So think about keeping a loaded chin retraction in the iron neck while we do an overhead press, while we do a bench press, while we do a, a face pull with a band. So integrating in the shoulder with a loaded movement, it makes it almost invaluable to have because it's one of those tools that has an extremely high return on investment.
1: Yeah. And I've done talking about integrating movement. I've done the exact opposite too. I've done, I've held a band pull apart to stabilize the traps and then uh, work more in that type of setting with the trap stabilized, then neck to move. I've also, you know, I had loaded, uh, wouldn't be a load carry, but a load, a loaded position hold holding 40, 50 pound dumb or kettlebells or dumbbells at your side while you do your iron neck exercise to, create a a stable position and use the inverse of what you're talking about, stabilizing the neck and stabilizing the shoulders as they
0: work together. And the second thing was neck cars or controlled articular rotations. So there's two different ways we can do this in the neck. There's going to be your segmental. So focusing on one motor segment, they say two vertebra. I think that's bullshit. I think you're always going to hit at least three just looking at the biomechanics of the spine, um, or you can do global, which is gonna be the entire neck in general. So what this is gonna do is it is a, it, like it says in the name, an articular rotation. So we're gonna be doing a basically a big old neck circle but focusing on trying to hit all three planes of movement in the same exercise. So how I typically start people is I have them look down to the ground. Then I have them add in rotation next. I don't technically think it matters. I don't remember the actual way to like the actual like step-by-step FRC way to do it. I just, I, I think it doesn't matter which one you add in next. So I have them flex forward. So looking down to the ground as far as they can go. And then rotate the head towards whichever way you want to go. And then we add in the lateral bend or ear to shoulder. or ear to shoulder. When you get there, you start to extend. So lifting your nose towards the sky, trying to focus on that segment you want to work. If you are doing segmental or if you're just doing global, focusing on trying to get as big of a range of motion as possible. Then once you get your nose to the sky and you're looking over whichever shoulder you have, you bring it to the other side. Bring that opposite ear to the opposite shoulder, and then you flex forward towards the ground again. So imagine one big circle. Once you complete one big circle clockwise, then guess what you're going to do it the other way? And hitting all of those, what they would consider mechanoreceptor activation, you're going to increase the mechanoreceptor activation and increase the mobility through all of those movements in one specific movement. So, why I like neck cars is that it can increase your range of motion in th- all three planes of movement with just one exercise. And that's what I use those for.
1: Funny anecdote about neck range of motions and rec cars. uh, This past weekend, I was in in Thanksgiving with Phoenix and with Austin and his lovely fiance, Lisa, Dr. Lisa Palmer. And she was doing a little bit of work on my neck and she was kind of testing my ability to flex my neck. And she said, take your chin to your chest, look down as far as you can. And I was like, okay. And I I did it. I went to as far range of motion as I could. I tucked my chin, I was looking (laughs) to the ground. And then she says, okay, go as far as you can. This is as far as I can go. <laughs>
0: <This laughs> Maybe as feel far as it goes. goes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was good. It was good because I, I learned a lot about my own limitations. Uh, some bad habits that I have around my neck. So I've been, that's probably another reason it was fresh on the mind. I know I were trying to talk about changing neck. I'm perf- first trying to figure out for me.
0: Yeah. That's just an important area. I did not. Again, not a super long tangent, but it's an important area. It's an extremely prevalent area in combat sports and not a lot of people know what to do with it because you focus on, like I said earlier, you focus on the symptom, not the problem. A lot of the times. So,
1: so. buy an iron neck sponsors iron. Yeah. Neck. What's up uh,
0: iron neck. At least send us some stuff. I mean, come on.
1: I think we're both cool enough. And, uh, I'll tag them in the show notes or, or whatever.
0: <laughs> I'll tag them in Instagram. You know,
1: it's cool stuff. There you go. Yeah. Instagram. Speaking of watch out for our Instagram. Uh, we're going to start posting a little more frequently on there, getting more content out and to you guys as best we can, uh, promoting the podcast, but also just giving you guys smarter approaches to training, training better, not training harder.
0: Yeah. So that was our anatom- anatomical approach. I can never say that word and one fail suit. Approach. Yes. That's our anatomical approach to training the neck. Uh, if you guys have any questions, as always, our instagram as well as our email are in the show notes shoot us an email or shoot us a dm um like i say every podcast we appreciate it a bunch if you guys like share subscribe um anything that you get the word out with us guess what we get to talk to more people and if you couldn't tell by this podcast i like talking to virtual people so if you can share
1: to yourself you like talking to yourself
0: i like hearing myself talk i think i'm a little bit of a sociopath (laughs) yeah um but I, make sure if if you can share it with as many people as possible share it with just one friend all you got to do is share it with one friend if we do that every time we grow and that helps us along along the long road to success so as always it's Dr. Austin Shane Alex Freeman and we are out